0: The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org.
1: We've got two parts. So this first part, is we're going to talk about um, Old Duluth and how the church was, uh, First Baptist Duluth was, and then we're going to get uh, into a little bit of the Technicolor experience and what happened there, and then in Section B, we're going to give you some handles, some ideas, some practical things that you might be able to do in your context. And again, we don't have all the answers. We are still learning. We are still in processes. We still fumble the ball. Uh, we we are learning every single day to do some things a little bit different and to, to make those small, minute changes. And it, it feels sometimes like you're just... You know, you're taking so long to move down the field a little bit. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it is so worth it. But I want to ask you a question. Is if the church is a taste of heaven, and we just had uh, the, the feast from Africa there, what should it be like? If the church is, is to be a taste of heaven, what should it be like? Give me give me some thoughts. It should be heaven on earth. What what are you what are you thinking?
2: They told us it was like gumbo.
1: <laughs> like gumbo. There you go. Hey, you there. What else? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I'll say some uh, biscuits and gravy,
1: but the gravy has to have sausage. In it. Okay. There you go. Have some spice. Very good. Very good. Let me ask this question. What will heaven be like? What will heaven be like? If you think about that. Something we can't imagine
4: because we don't know what perfection is yet, but perfection.
1: Yeah. That's good. What else? What else?
4: A lot of variety.
1: Okay. A lot of variety.
4: I think a lot of surprises too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The Baptists will be surprised that the Methodists and the Presbyterians are up there, right? Be yeah, shocked. The well, that there. That's right. That's, that's scary. Well, and we've looked at this, this passage a few times already. Let me get out of the way. Um, Revelation 7 9 through 10, it says, After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. I love that. So many people. All tribes, all nations, all people, which no one can number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches in their hand, and they cried in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture of what heaven will be like. And so... Here's what we, we want you to understand is that most times what we hear are the practices, not the principles. Most times we hear what we hear are the practices, not the principles. And so have you heard it was reported at the 2019 SBC convention that only three of 1,000 SBC churches are multi-ethnic? Three and a thousand. And so we're sitting there thinking, Is if heaven is going to be this beautiful array of, of people, why aren't our churches looking more and more like our neighborhoods? Looking more and more like our communities? Looking more and more like the people who live to the left, to the right, to the front, and behind us? And so as we think through this, we want to kind of... Keith's going to give you a, a oversight of what, um, really what Duluth was and and what we look like. And then we're going to, again, bump into a little bit of what the technicolor change was. And then in, in section B, we'll give you a time for question and answer. And then in part B of this, uh, again, we'll give you some handles of the things that we've tried and also things that have failed as well.
4: All right. Very good. Mr. Keith. Thank you. Um, so what are, should our response be to to what heaven is like? Um, a church that does represent its, its uh, community. I've been privileged to serve at First Baptist Duluth since
0: 1997.
4: So I've been there 22 years and I when I went in 97, the average Sunday school attendance was um, 720. Within a few years, we were over 1,100. Uh, and most of those people, 99% of those people, 99.9% of the people looked like me and talked like me. And so we had a great number of folks. Uh, and you see the, the pictures there, the Church on the right was one of the original buildings, and on the, the picture on the left is, is what our church uh, is like now. Um, that the city of, of Duluth was... Uh, we reflected the city when we were mainly white people that talked like me. Uh, that uh, our mayor, is, as Pastor Mark said this morning at the beginning, Nancy Harris, the mayor of our city, also a church member... She said, "When she was growing up there in Duluth, the only difference between people is some were Baptist and some were Methodist. You know that that was about it, and so that was uh, real different. And, and then some were African Americans, and then the rest of us were white. And so the church mirrored that because we had the white church, and then there was the black church. That's just the way it was. It was Deep South, Atlanta. We were at Duluth was." <laughs> When I was growing up, and I grew up ITP inside the perimeter, uh, no one ventured out to Duluth. There's no reason to go to Duluth. And so then, eventually, after the Olympics, the world discovered Duluth and Atlanta, and the world came to Duluth. And so it took off trem- tremendously. Uh, that uh, we were, on our programming, we were a franchise Southern Baptist church. Did we have Sunday school? Sure. Did we have... What did we do on Sunday nights? What your traditional, franchise, Southern Baptist church do on Sunday nights? Well, it, training union, discipleship, you know, church training, whatever. That, what did we do on Wednesday nights? RAs and GAs. RAs, GAs, mission friends. We had supper on Wednesday nights. I, we had adult choir. All right. Yes, we had all those things. So we had the traditional programming. And in worship, we had an adult choir. What did the adult choir wear? Robes. What did they sing? Anthems. Right. Y'all have got it. Y'all have been to our church. Y- y'all knew all that. Okay. And then on missions, we already talked about, we had RA's, GA's, mission friends, act teens, uh, challengers we did all of those things. And then our our missions, we gave a lot of money, a lot of percentage to the cooperative program, and we were involved in starting new work. We started about 12 new churches around the world, but we just picked a place and just did it. It was not a strategic design to help start new churches. Uh, for uh, helping start new churches, we had a Vietnamese church meet at our church. We had a Spanish. We started a Spanish-speaking church, and uh, the goal was for them to become a self-supporting, constituted Southern Baptist church that would would eventually move out. I mean, that's that was our goal, and so we were heavily involved in that. And then our polity, we had committees, we had deacons, and all the committee people looked like, all the deacons looked like, and that's just the way it was. The staff, we had a huge staff with 1,100 people, you can imagine, and guess who they looked like? All the staff looked like me. They talked like me. And then some other, some things happened. Uh, as I said, ooh, sorry, like 99% looked like me. Five years later, we went to dual Sunday schools from when I came in 97 because we couldn't build fast enough. We just couldn't do it. All right, Todd, if you would. Abiyoye, if you would. And Abby is doing it because he put this PowerPoint together. <laughs> and so he's having to manually do it down there. And then we had a drop in attendance. Our pastor at that time, uh, asked me to put together a, a Sunday School task force to find out what's going on, what's happening. Um, uh, we had demographic study done of the community, and the guy said, Keith, you all are in the exact wrong place for a Southern Baptist church full of people that look like you and talk like you to be. The question is, when are you going to move, not if you're going to move? This guy was from Lifeway, and he said, Keith, there are no Southern Baptist churches that are in existence that have sustained themselves that are in this position. We asked Rodney Wu to come. You might have read Rodney Wu's books, or Rodney was pastor at Sharpsburg Baptist Church, just south of Houston, and a multicultural church. Um, and he came and helped us understand. And he gave us a lot of information that just... still resonate with me today about what can we do to do that. Uh, Then the last thing that we we knew the community was changing, but we didn't know what to do. Uh, As Pastor Mark said earlier, there's a a, a Hindu temple. Thank you, Todd. Just south of just a hundred yards from the church. There's a Korean church that runs 3000 on a Sunday morning about a mile from our church. there We we are on church row. Some of y'all's churches are on church row. And it used to be just the white Methodist church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, and us, and maybe one or two Assembly of God church. But now it is church row full of Korean churches. We can't count them. And we just didn't know what to do about that. Then Pastor Mark came and helped us figure out this is what we need to do. He was literally a godsend to us to help us say this is the direction we need to go. Our other pastor retired. Pastor Mark came and helped us setting the the vision of it. And then there was the aha moment of 57 as he talked about this morning and We helped the church figure out what to do, then the vision changed from reaching people who looked like me to reaching the community, which meant every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And then, as Pastor Mark showed that same slide this morning about ITP and OTP, that there were... 31, is that right, Pastor Mark? 31 of the 166 still in existence?
2: 36 in 2016,
4: but it's down to 31. 31. My home church that I grew up in is one of those that are still in existence. When I was growing up in the 60s down in East Point, down in southwest Atlanta, uh, we we ran 1,000 every Sunday, huge staff. And now, I had the privilege of speaking there a few months ago, and they're, they run about 70 or 80, and guess how old they are? 70 or 80. 70 or 80. You were there too. Yep. <laughs> and so, you know, in 10 years from now, they're not going to be existent. They can't worship in their sanctuary in the summer because they can't, pay for the price to get the air conditioning fixed. And so they can worship there in the winter but when the heat works, but the air conditioning, they can't do it. You know, again, mirroring, mirroring the community became key of what we're trying to do. What can we do to, to, to sh- show differently from the community? As Pastor Mark said this morning earlier, and there's a graph that kind of shows that, that we, most of us in this room, are going to be the minority. An interesting thing that has transpired is that, as I said, when I came to Duluth, most everybody looked like me and talked like me. Did you notice in the worship center in the sanctuary this morning, 90% of the people that were down there looked like me and talked like me? When we go to Duluth, when we're, when we're, we're in Duluth now, when we go to place, it's diverse. I live about a 20-minute drive, 25-minute drive north of Duluth. And where I live, it's real different it's 90% of the people look like me and talk like me. And so when you are have made a change mentally and spiritually, you'll notice when you walk into a room, oh, it's diverse. I like this. It's great. Or you walk into a room and oh, or you don't even notice. Do you see the difference? One of the things I noticed downstairs and immediately was people that looked like me and talked like me. Uh, and then a, a technicolor community. Duluth is a very technicolor community. You want to do this or you want me to? You, you keep, keep going, going. You're doing, doing good. <clears throat> All right. Uh, that is a picture of downtown Duluth. It is trying to become a very uh, cosmopolitan, a different kind of city, a destination city. Uh, Duluth High School. You see there the uh, the... Demographic information and Tom Jones, our former chairman of deacons, IMB missionary, uh, sitting over here beside Pastor Mark. He helped us get some of this material together years ago that we still use. Uh, that you see there, the difference in the, am I in, y'all's way? in the demographic information from Duluth High School. Now, you 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 have to understand too that Asian. Asia is what? It's a continent. Black is a skin color. Abby Oye, are you black? Are you an African American? What are you? He's an African. So black is color of skin. Hispanic. I was talking to some folks before. It, that's a language. Spanish is a language. White is color of skin. And when I say people that look like me and talk like me at our church, we have people that look like me, but they're from Italy. They're from Great Britain. They're from Romania. I mean, Moldova. And the lady from Moldova teaches Spanish at one of the high schools. (laughs) And we have folks from Russia. Where are they on there? They're white. But they're not Anglos. But this is data from school, but it's still, you've got to wrap your mind around the data that you can get. But you see here the significant change between 2002 and 2018. And so that's our goal, is how to reflect the community. There's some
2: really interesting statistics. I mean, the transition from 55
4: to 16... Go back, yeah. 16, right there. In 16 years, that's a, unbelievable. And then even the Asian population has gone down too, and, and the Hispanic and Black are going up. But those are incredible increases. They're not even slight. They're, they're not complete transformation. Right, and you remember when Mark was talking this morning, Pastor Mark was saying that he heard... Mayor Nancy say 57 languages spoken at that high school. And so you can understand why. So did the white drop because of white flight or because of private schools or you know, white flight. To white flight. What what happened and again here the principles as we talked as Todd talked about a minute ago most of the times we hear the practices, but not the principles, but hear the principles. Uh, and the high school enrollment both years is about the same. It's about 2,600 and 2,700. So that's the, the, the student population. So the population number, the numbers, the bottom line numbers both years are the same. Now, I, I would ask, do you know what the population is at your high school? That's rhetorical. So yes, it, it is. So the the white population they moved out. They they moved north.
1: And, I, and let me just one of the thing, a couple of things that that happened, and uh, Keith mentioned it earlier, is the Olympics came to Atlanta. Um, so. The world came to Atlanta, and they stayed. And the other thing uh, that that happened and affected is Katrina. Um, when when Katrina took place, um, a lot of a lot of those folks that were in New Orleans wound up moving to the Atlanta area, and they all moved up towards uh, towards uh, Duluth. And so, you know, there there are a couple of factors that really changed, and that's why we're saying is is we understand that your area, the place that you serve is totally different probably from what we're, what we're saying and, and what we're talking about. But again, taking those principles and and taking and listening uh, to those things, trying to figure out, Hey, how can we apply this to our current setting? How can we take these things and apply it to where we're serving um, in our area? Because again, how many of you guys are seeing change in your neighborhoods? Raise your hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but again, and, and again, it could be one group of people. You know, it could be a, a group of Latinos that have moved into your neighborhood. And again, how do we reach them? How do we do that? And we'll again we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it could be two or three groups of, of folks that are kind of Coming into your, your neighborhoods now, and they live around your church, and they go to school with your kids, and uh, they do life, and they play sports, and they, they are, are dancing, or, or they're in theater, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, what do you do to love on them and, and reach them? So?
4: Another thing that's not shown on this particular slide is there are three elementary schools that ultimately feed Duluth High School. And all three elementary schools are Title I schools. All three elementary schools have sixty-three to seventy percent of their population are on free or reduced lunch. So that also, that's a huge change also in that the, that these numbers represent. Uh, we could go into great detail about, you know, white people Let's just be honest. White people earn a lot more money than people of color. Is that a fair statement?
3: Not, not in our area. So that's like that's something. So we that's actually a big challenge for our church is that in most cases um, the um, we have Central and East Asians and and essentially they price out
4: I mean, right yes that, and that's what we're
3: dealing with is the the Caucasian. Populations existed can no longer afford to live
0: in,
4: the, in the right in in same thing in, right. Same thing in Duluth the the, yeah. the people that are paying cash for the four hundred thousand dollar houses Don't look like me and talk like me right. but The people that are joining our church people that are from Africa the middle school t-principal Just was, uh, Pastor Mark went to his capping ceremony the other night. He's now an RN. So he was working full-time, going to school full-time, and he's going to be now a nurse. But he's not making near the money that he made in, in Nigeria. And so a lot of folks, when you start reaching the community, different people, Hispanic folks, your numbers might be the same but your finances are going to change significantly. So that's one of the things. All right, right, Abby Oye, flip it to the next one. Uh, That's a picture. Pastor Mark, how long ago was that?
2: Well, based on what I'm wearing, I'm going to guess it was East Asian New Year.
4: So that's a picture of our church, and you see people from around the world there.
2: The the children are blessing their parents and grandparents.
4: uh, Which is an East Asian... New culture, y- culture moment. And so you see that. And so those are our children.
2: And I think I counted 15 nationalities. So.
4: And so if, if that's what our neighborhood looks like, shouldn't our churches look like that as well? Again, to, to mirror the, that. Um, then our, our weekly worship experience. Uh, you see, the words there are in different languages. As Pastor Mark was saying this morning, that if you show deference to one, you show deference to all. And so we'll we'll have words there in English. And uh, what all is there, Abby Oye, What
0: are the languages? Yeah, we we have Korea, we have Yoruba, then we have Spanish. Right on this slide. And so uh, our worship...
4: And, and our church went through the worship wars in the early 2000s. Charles church do that? Or you, you're, you're aware of other churches that have gone through the war? <laughs> we're either going to have contemporary or we're going to have traditional. So we're going to settle on blended. Folks, that argument goes out the window when you're talking international. <laughs> Are those songs what we sang this morning... Was that traditional? Was that contemporary? It was inclusive. It was inclusive. So our worship is different. Uh, and before you leave
1: there, you can uh, and you can see the flags. Uh, Pastor Mark was mentioning uh, earlier, and uh, so and and honestly, just to be total open book we have wars over the flag placements. I mean, we really do. Uh, You see right here, they're they're, they're back behind the choir loft. They're behind the folks here. Look at this picture over here. Where are they? They're on the sides in that picture. You can't see the sides, but that's where they are at this, this point. And so, you know, again... There are there are different things, different things that you're going to face that there's some things that you're just going to have to wrestle with and there's some things and you've heard the statement there what what's a hill to die on. You know, and again, we don't feel like that's a hill to die on, so we're willing to to change and to be flexible and to move some things, but again, still being inclusive and helping people see one of the most beautiful things that that and we'll talk about this in a little bit is we had, um, I can't remember if it was football team or the basketball team. Uh, we did Wildcat Sunday. I think it was football team. And one of the, the families that came, um, they, they went over and they were looking for their flag. And it was like, holy cow, there's my flag. There are people here. And I remember watching the smile on this, this grown adult's face. And he's standing there and his, his son is taking pictures of him holding his flag. Because it meant so much to him that, that hey, these people are, are thinking, they're, they're strategic, they're, they're at least showing, again, that deference that Pastor Mark talked about earlier today. And so I, I just wanted you all to see that as well, that the, the flags are there. Um, but again, and where did we go? Oh, you went backwards. And that picture again. They're not because they're on the sides. And we've got them downstairs, we've got them upstairs, and we've toyed several different ways of, of how do we present the flags. Because a lot of people say, well, how do you, uh, you know, we've said let's put labels on each one of the flags so we'll know what country they're from. And so, you know, so we're still going through things and talking about things. And, and again, this is a work in progress. And so just understand that the, the key is to just start. Do something. Don't don't come here uh, for this one day and just sit there. Just do do something. Do one thing. And I'm telling you, it's gonna make a huge difference at wherever your, your location is. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to make sure I'm clear, does this represent a weekly type presentation where the, this kind of diversity is present yeah. and one song is presented in different languages or displayed on the screen? So I'm singing in English, and my brother beside me be is singing in his language. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah. When the teaching time comes, and I don't get it, but when the message, the preaching is delivered, how does that come to me in my mother language? Yeah. Pastor Mark speaks in five different languages as he pre. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing. Um,
4: it's it's Pentecost. It's Pentecost. That's right um everybody hears there
0: yeah well, um, do we
4: have a slide do you yeah, have a slide yeah, yeah. I, mean, Turn- I
0: have to move ahead yeah right No, that, that's all right that's well, all right. right right there there it is that- okay
1: uh, so this is this actually used to be that was our um sound booth it was upstairs in the in the balcony um so we closed it in and moved the sound booth you can see it right down here in the corner moved it downstairs and closed in and glassed in that area. So each of those spaces has a a transmitter. And so if you come in and you're you speak Spanish, you get a listening device just goes in your ear and someone is up in one of those areas translating into to Spanish. Uh sing he right here uh who is on staff with us, she translates into Korean. And so uh, we have signs up, live translation. And so when you walk in, you see live translation sign, and we get you to come to our One Voice Language Resource Center. How many Bibles do we have in the 25 languages you see right there? And so um, you can come in, find a Bible in your language, um, and we, t- we tell them if, if you don't have one, take it. Um, and, and we want them to have, have the Word of God. But you check out a listening device and we also also have bulletins in the three languages we translate in as well. So, which is Korean, Mandarin, Chinese, and Spanish. And we're currently praying for a Vietnamese translator. And so, uh, and, and how long, Pastor Mark, did it take you to pray or as as a staff, we prayed for, uh, our, uh, our uh, translator in, uh, Mandarin? Over two years. So,
5: will you not understand
4: Mandarin, Korean, and Spanish? And, And again, as Pastor Mark said this morning, we do it in those three languages because those are the most prevalent languages in our church field. Not just that we went, we, not that just Pastor Mark had a vision of doing it in those particular languages, but those are the three that are most prevalent, other than English, in our church field. And you can find a lot of the demographic information that we've discovered. I'm sure in the state of North Carolina, there is a person on staff, on the state staff, that does research for the, for the state. And so you could contact that person. And does anybody know that person's name? Yes. It's you? <laughs> Tell us. Introduce yourself. Tell us about you.
3: Yeah. So we're I think a strategic focus team. And so you can write me at C-A-L-L-E-Y, and that at And we can get that information to you. Um, you also have access for free to this information through Mission Insight. So if you don't want to just get it from me,
2: but you would like to learn how to access it yourself, we can help you learn it. There's also a site called city, citydata.com that will give, give you the demographic write down and,
4: and, and the trends as to... And, and so that would talk to your school board. You know, there's a B.B. Harris school is 600 feet in front of our church. And I can tell you everything about that school because the school board has that data. And I find it out from our school board. So you know how my friend Richie Stanley at Nam. He was a member of our church before he moved out west. And so one of Sunday school teachers and deacon, all around good guy. Uh, that is a picture of, uh, of our staff and our spouses at our Christmas party. Can you tell it's Christmas? Uh, Pastor Mark, one of the great things about Pastor Mark, he invites us to his lovely home. Uh, and, and again, remember in 1997 when I went to First Baptist Duluth, all the staff, all the staff, sports staff, everybody looked like me and talked like me, and that's our staff and our spouses now.
1: My spouse sitting there, so just yeah, not everybody's way, spouse
4: is there. She's a teacher, so she was teaching that that day. So, um, time for us to well, what questions do you have? Because what we want to do is take about ten how minutes for questions how does and then. Relate to each
1: other in terms of how do people get along? Do they? Do they mix and match pretty good, or do you kind of come together for church and then people kind of still
4: cluster in their own ethnic groups? How does that work?
1: Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. Absolutely. I'd
4: I, I like
1: to just
2: tell you uh, there's obviously some clustering in Texas. I mean, uh, a lot of our African families gather together, and, I'm there, and they're always the last ones to leave after church. So, uh, but uh, they cluster good. But i tell you one of the most blessed things to watch. I told you about this past Sunday was our Indian Independence Day. Well, you would think that only the Indians would come to Indian Independence Day. No. Uh, our, our Koreans were just as prevalent at Indian Independence Day, and our Africans were just as prevalent. And to see them share each other's holidays and share each other's cultural experiences is a really wonderful thing to watch and watch that <coughs> cross-pollination that's taking place. So it, it has happened over time, uh, but uh, uh, and uh, we may occasionally, but it's been extremely rare that we've got a cultural conflict. Uh, that That's not what we have. Uh, our, our challenges are, are more about uh, just adopting the whole gamut of But it's it's a rare occasion for us to have a cultural conflict. It seems like there's an
1: excitement among the cultures of being mm-hmm. together in-
4: Yes, yes, and and we've discovered that people that have come to First Baptist Duluth, we were talking about this morning, several of us. Why? Why has God sent them? Why? Some people are actively looking for a multicultural church. Steve and Julie Higgins googled that moved here. He got out of the Air Force, googled multicultural church in Duluth, found our church. yeah, he's a,
1: he's a, and the backstory on the Higgins family is kinda your situation. They were an all in an a all white church in a black neighborhood. And Steve and Julie were like, Why why is this? And so when they moved to our area, they Googled and Google's been our friend. Um our church when you you uh Google uh, multi ethnic church or uh a diverse church, Um, our church pops up the very first thing. And And so it's been awesome for us.
4: When Pastor Mark was just talking about the cultural lunches, and he talked about it downstairs in worship time too, we quit having Wednesday night suppers and diverted those dollars to monthly cultural lunches. A strategic and intentional thing to be inclusive of folks. Now, October, Todd, what, what are we going to do in October? What's our our ethnic meal, our cultural celebration in October?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really cultural.
4: Um, we have
1: a, a tailgate party. Because it's football season, right? And that's a cultural event, right? So again, as we...
0: No, actually, for, for internationals like us... October really, really looks like it. In fact, the very first time we had it, it was like we can't wait to know what does tailgating me What does and
1: yeah, and we'll we'll do and that that Sunday we'll do Wear Your Jersey Day, and so again people wear their their favorite football teams that kind of thing, and they they wear their jerseys, and uh, and it's it's great. We in, have a great time in
4: November. Uh we don't have a cultural lunch other than Thanksgiving. We, uh sing he who you you, you met she before. She was in uh, right there. Sing <laughs> he on the left there. Several years ago, she said, "What if we had a a Thanksgiving lunch and I will invite some of our Korean friends and Keith, you come and tell us about the history of Thanksgiving. Why why we celebrate Thanksgiving." So we first started Pastor Mark, how many did we have the first year? I mean, it was at their house. Yeah, maybe 20. This, So we continued that, and it's continued to grow and enlarge for our ethnic community, our multicultural community. In this past year, we had 100 and 200. I'm in charge of it, and I just don't remember. <laughs> Old timer set in. And so it's grown. So again, hear the principles, not the practices. Uh, other questions?
5: I have two things I want to say. First is I want to say thank you, because the, the worship language worshiping is the main part of having the, uh, the uh, diverse community. Sometimes I see the misunderstanding about the having diverse community because they they want to have the present, but everything is in one language, and they don't. Maybe sometimes they say they try to translate, but the worship is the main, important, very important part. And you did that. That is a really I want to appreciate that. But I have one question. What is the final, ultimate goal? Is that the go Your goal is that, that each community have their own church, or always is going to be the same
4: multi-language
5: church. My question is, if I want to make that explain like that, if you have an Iranian there... Which
4: possible? we do, which we do.
5: Okay, is this your goal? Is it having Persian church no.
2: there? Or no. always Persian, they should be in your Do the you want to speak
4: to your vision? <laughs>
2: uh, I've invited Canvas to come to our church because I want him to come and speak to our uh, uh, Farsi-speaking community. Uh, uh, no, our goal is to be uh, in under one roof. And uh, I had several people ask me, "says How, how do you? How do we cross language, barrier, language barriers?" In my breakout session this morning, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, we have the largest English teaching uh, ministry in the county. Probably have about three hundred fifty, three hundred seventy-five people learning English at our church. But we also teach Korean as a second language at our church. We also teach Spanish as a second language at our church. And so we're, we're cross-pollinating uh, in that process. We do have a Korean-speaking Sunday school class. We have a Spanish-speaking Sunday school class. We adult, a adult, adult classes. Class, adult classes. And we have a rudimentary English class that people who can barely read English can go in and use the Bible as their guide, and learn learn English on Sunday morning.
1: And how many how many in that class are Buddhists?
2: Uh, at least three.
1: That's what I was thinking, uh, three to four.
2: That are Buddhists that are learning how to read English and using the Bible. By reading the Bible. By reading the Bible. So uh, our intent is to be under one rule. Now, if, if a church wants to spin off out of that, and by the way, there has been, uh, if a church wants to spin off out of that, we'll bless them, honor them, but we feel like that the very best thing for our city is that we become inclusive of all people, and uh, and we provide opportunity for them to be under the hearing of the gospel.
4: And there's another church not too far from us that had that that their vision is lots of different language churches meeting at one location. And I'm not like going to. And I'm not going to say that's good or bad. Guess what? I'm not God. Aren't we all glad? And again, we said it earlier. It's a
1: way. It, it, what we're doing is a way, but what we're doing is absolutely amazing to be a part of. And uh, I, I personally, just just saying personally, I wouldn't want to be at that other church because of how they're doing it. I love what we're doing. So yeah. So,
3: Pastor Mark, do you like? Do you ever hold the? the corporate service and predominantly in another language, or is the sermon always in English and translated into the other languages? Um,
2: always? The, the sermon is always in English. Okay. And, uh, Sometimes. I remember, and I know that uh, uh, one of the things Keith is mentioning, I, I took six months of Spanish lessons to be able to, to, be able to teach a 15-minute Spanish sermon. Okay. Uh, and it was to begin the language resources. I wanted to tell our people that uh, uh, the miracle of tongues in the Book of Acts was that they all what heard Third. in their own language. And I said, I want us to be able to provide a method and a ministry that people will hear in their own heart language. Uh, I've been doing some study, and some of you probably have done this. Anyone's got any? linguistic background, that the part of the brain that uh, you use in your mother tongue is the part that uh, deals with all of your emotion, all of of your emotional decision-making is done in your mother tongue. But if you're having to translate to something other than your mother tongue, then the likelihood is you're doing a cognitive approach to it and not an emotional. And that's why people are more apt to receive the gospel when they hear it in their native language. And we we honor that, and we, we want to utilize that. We want a Farsi speaker to come and speak to our Farsi-speaking people. We want an, a Spanish speaker to come and speak to our Spanish-speaking people. Uh, so, so the entire intent of Language Resource Center is not to get 57 language groups to suddenly speak English. It's to take the gospel to 57 languages.
4: That's what we're trying to do. I was at a gathering of, of uh, local pastors, and some Spanish-speaking pastors were together, and they were talking, and they were talking about the challenges of that. And one of them told the other, and we're having to start English congregation, English worship service, because one and a half and second generation want that. I found that very interesting because that's what we're trying to do. And the parents that are coming here from Africa, parents that are bringing their kids here are coming here because they want their kids to have it better than they did. And they know that their kids are going to learn English. And so they want their kids to be involved in a church. And we want them to be involved in a church that speaks English. And so that way we can take care of moms and dads because Pastor Mark said that those classes were in English. I mean, were in the different languages for adults. And the students go, the Spanish-speaking students and all the students from all the languages go where? They're right in with all of us. Because where are they Monday through Friday? And what are they speaking? And it's interesting, B.B. Harris School that's six hundred feet from our church, they call us and say, Can you send translators down? We we need your folks that speak you know Spanish and other languages because the kids kids can translate, but they kids don't always translate exactly right. <laughs> and so we need to take a break.
1: Yeah. First part was more of an overview of what First Baptist Duluth. Uh, was this is going to be more practical, more handles of uh, the things that, that we do as as
0: a church. Okay, Abby are you? All right, good afternoon, everyone. Yeah, one of the reasons why I'm coming uh, at this second leg is because the traditional uh, First Baptist Duluth really looks like this. <laughs> now, but this inclusive is what we look like now. And, and um, it's a united community of faith that loves reaches, and disciples all for the Lord Jesus. And, and I will start by talking about the local missions that um, we involve ourselves in. We partner with a ministry locally called Tapestry, and we've got involvement with them Sometimes we, we go downtown, assist in mission work, and um, the, the picture in the middle of this slide is uh, our involvement with them, with Maryland Elementary School, where we went um, to work with the school, clean up everywhere, make everything look well, as the fourth leg of missions. It's not only proc- proclaiming the gospel or discipleship or church building, but being the, the, being the life of Christ to be seen in others. Then also we partner with the Perimeter Point Church and um, in, in there, uh, reaching out to people uh, with the gospel downtown Atlanta. And um, uh, besides local missions, we also have uh, the, our North American missions engagement. We call them level three, level three youths, and so then they go to Portland, Maine on missions. And um, what what they actually do there more is more of being the Jesus for people to see, get involvement in life interactions with people, uh, not only the gospel, but the life, showing life, doing life in reaching out to people. Well, before you
1: move on, I, I just want to point out the difference in this these two pictures. These are our older students up here. Andres up here at the top, he's the only one that is, is, is from another, another country. These are our middle school students over here. Some of them just coming up to the student ministry. Look at the difference between, and that's what's happening in our preschool and our children's ministries is we've got the younger families. They're, they're what's feeding our, our, our church, really, if you, if you look at it. And we, we'll talk about a statistic here in just a second
0: all right so and this outreach is actually to clarkston in georgia and um, clarkston is a place where we have a mass uh, mass um, coming together of refugees and people from other countries and the uh, middle school uh students were there on missions recently then we also have what we call um, global missions or foreign missions and these are our mission efforts outside of the United States. We have a mission effort to India, where uh, sometimes ago the to church together with um, Nam. Yeah, actually got a bus, a medical missions bus, a cubed to do uh, anything. And uh, a clinic, a small clinic hospital could do medical doctors on it and that, w- that happened to be a way of reaching communities in India. We have mission to Africa, Nigeria. We have a mission point in Nigeria that has 12 other uh, outreach points in Nigeria and two in Benin Republic. Now, we, we have a mission planter working there, and um, who now works with other missionaries in reaching this uh, a central point in Nigeria is a place called Fada that is about one hour away from any form of western civilization no 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 uh, portable water supply, no electricity. The roads are bad. in fact, if you journey that road, when the rain falls, you may not be able to come out and and the people there are majorly Muslims and we took the gospel right there pastor mark had been there like thrice yeah and i've been there twice (laughs) even though i'm a nigerian yeah but he's been there thrice and and the mission work there is growing in leaps and bounds I, i was still there uh April this year and god is working amazing things right there and um we also have a mission effort in mexico Uh, And recently, you took uh, some of our youths to Mexico. I think that should be about three or four weeks ago, not long, on missions effort. Then we also partner with, uh, we have a mission partnership in China uh, where we we support missions there.
4: Abiyah, before you leave that, you might recall that in the first period, I talked about how we supported, again, the traditional church, supported new work around the world. But now we just, and, but then we just picked a place and, and said, Hey, this is a good place. We don't have a church there. Let's partner with our international mission board missionaries there. But Pastor Mark had the vision of what if we identified those countries? Do you remember? Let's see. Where do we have live translation into Korean, Spanish, and, and Mandarin Chinese? He said, what if we identify those places, those countries where we have members and go and help start churches there. We can take teams there. Then when we come back, we can say, Pastor Mark, how many people have you met from Nigeria that happened to write a book? Tell us about how the the different people you've met, especially Southern Baptist Convention.
2: Well, I mean, it's not uncommon for me to... uh I asked somebody, I love your, love your accent, where are you from? So I was at Southern Baptist Convention in Birmingham, and getting on a bus. The guy behind me's got a beautiful, rich, uh, British-type accent, I said, love your accent, where are you from? He says, I'm from Nigeria. I said, really, I've been to Nigeria. Oh, really, where have you been? I named a couple of cities, and he says, I'm from the city of Jos." I said, "I said, excellent. I said, we have a missionary from Jos who comes to our church. He said, what is his name? And I said, his name's Dr. Danny McCain. He said he's my mentor he is the one who mentored me when I was in school back in Nigeria he said I've written a book uh, and he says I dedicated it to dr. Danny And he opens up this book and and uh, all of a sudden I'm seeing this book that he's dedicated to dr. Danny McCain who attends our church every Sunday and uh, uh, and he says could I come to your church to dedicate my book now this is a North American Mission Board church planner in Minneapolis who's from Nigeria, who ministers to Muslim people, who's coming all the way to Duluth so that he can dedicate his new book, written, to written, dedicated his mentor, who's a member of our church, all because I asked the question, I love your accent, where are you from?
4: And so that gives us the entree. You know, when people go to, to Mexico, Nigeria, it gives us opportunity to invite people to our culture lunches I had my truck worked on the other day. And I, the mechanic who was working on it, I said, you have an interesting accent. Where are you from? He said, Jamaica. I was able to invite him to Island Sunday celebration. And so it's those intentional kinds of decisions. So again, here are the principles. I'm sorry. Abbey. Yeah,
0: thank you. Okay. Our global missions are not only move the gospel to the hands of the world. It has also facilitated our internship programs for the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary international students. The, the church, now, when we go take the gospel there, Pastor Mark, all right, Pastor Mark has a blessed, has a blessed gift of noticing talents and God has actually used him. Now, two, we've got two Koreans who pass through our internship programs and are out of it now, but presently we still have two interns. And um, one uh, one of the interns is uh, Pastor Charlotte Kurma. is a student of um, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary doing a doctorate. And the second person is Abio Etela. I, I am a Nigerian. And interestingly, when Pastor Mark came the first time to Nigeria uh, on missions to start uh, the partnership, yeah, um, uh, the, the mission, uh, the planter working with them happened to be a friend of mine in our seminary in Nigeria, and they just told me, Pastor Marcus around, they would want to fellowship in a place, and I said, okay, let them fellowship in the church I pastor in Nigeria. And from there, the interaction started, and to the glory of God today, the First Baptist Duluth internship uh, program it, uh, covers my school fees and everything. My family and I moved there two years ago. And the church had uh, been the, the one doing that. And that is still uh, an offshoot of the missions organization, of the missions enterprise of the church. Now, one of the things I want to stress here before I run off this segment and bring uh, the other facilitators is that uh, when we decide to be intentionally, uh, uh, intentional about reaching out to other people of other tribes and colors, we should know that it's only the beginning point that we know. Now, and, and when all of this started some years ago at the First Baptist Church of Duluth, no one knew that someday, sometime, is going to get this big. Now, all of these students from other nations now have interactions with other people. The gospel story continues to go on. Today, are. Uh, by God's grace, the First Baptists dilute as uh, members from 12 African countries. Now, out of the 46, 12 Af- are African nations. And, um, and we are still counting. I want to say this then. I will bring up the other facilitators uh, as they talk about conduits to the community. I have here uh, a little flashlight. Now, this flashlight is only useful when it is on. And you would appreciate it more in the midst of darkness. Now, I have a question. Look at this picture. We would say we have succeeded in reaching our community when the community comes to us as a church for help. Now, I'm going to leave you with a question as the next speaker comes up. If your church is taken away from where it is presently, how many people will notice it? How many lives will be affected negatively? If the government stands up today to say there's supposed to be a main road going through where your church is and your church is to be taken away from there, will anyone notice it? Thank you.
4: When uh, I I was speaking earlier about traditional church, we did ESL because that's what you did. Just you know, you just you just did it. That's a good thing to do for the community. We had sports, but we didn't have any. It, it, it was not combined with anything. There was no plan. And now it is that that we do things intentionally through ESL, through sports, through our weekday program to help reach the community so that one feeds off the other, that feeds off the other, that we have uh, folks coming to the Christ for that. Uh, We do work with B.B. Harris School. I work closely with the principal. Uh, She, uh, last spring, on spring break, she was out west with her family, and she called me and she said, Keith, I just found out we had a family in our school that was burned out. Can you help? Well, sure I can. And so the church helped. She calls me regularly uh, and asks me, or we, we email and, or text, and she's asking us for help with different things. Would you? Well, sure we did. When, when we, um, the, she provided lunch for the teachers on work day right before school started. She said, Keith, can you provide desserts? Well, sure I can. And so we got people in the church to make desserts and come. And uh,
0: serve them. So now I want us to guess if the First Baptist Duluth is heavily involved in the life of the students and the parents of BBRS. I wanted to guess the number of kids from our church that school in that elementary school. Just anybody guess if we are so involved in this school. Can you just make a guess? Maybe none. Maybe.
5: Maybe there might not be none.
0: None or nine? Okay. Zero to nine.
5: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. You would not believe this, that our kids that attend this school are only my kids. Just two of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the church is not intentional about reaching these diverse kids and their parents because they have members there. No. They've been doing that even before we came two years ago. And the church continues to do this as part of our reaching out, not because they have people there gaining anything, but because that's the way to go. Thank you. All right. And so I'm heavily involved with
4: B.B. Harris. Todd works with Duluth High School, uh, with football team, with the sports team. Uh, forth. Uh, tell us about the concession stand, how they called on us to help.
1: Yeah, and, and I I don't know if this was explained, but one of our wins as a church is when the community calls us for help. And that that is is one of the things that we know that we're succeeding, that we know we're scoring, whatever it might be, when we had the community call us. And so what I did, and, and again, this is one of those simple things that probably a lot of you guys are doing, I called the head football coach and said, "Hey, how can I can I take you to lunch? What can I do to help?" And so the very first year, uh, he said we had our booster club. Uh, the president stole all the money, and uh, and basically just just left us with nothing. Well, that same year, the person that was running the concession stand stole that money. Great! That's awesome. He said. Can you help us with the concession stands? Well, the first year that we got in the concession stands, it was like pulling teeth trying to get people to serve in the concessions because they didn't understand it. And basically that that was kind of the thing is, is we finally started building momentum. We had a lady that was working that year with us. By the end of the year, they had found out she was stealing money from the concession stands. And so at the, by the end of the year, he said, Todd, can you just run the concession stands? So we had two football games left. We ran the concession stands. The next year, he said, hey, do you have anybody from your church that will run the concession stands for us? And I said, sure, I'll pray about it. And we had had a, a couple that, that they were really, they used to help for their daughter. Uh, when they were in the band at another school, they said they were there almost every time. And, uh, they, they are taking it. And so they run our concession stands at Duluth High School now. Uh, but one of the key things is see the, the with Duluth there? Um, will you explain your, your Kia story, uh, at the Falcons game? Uh, I, this, this story right here defines and I think will define for you guys the difference of of being for someone and being with someone. So
2: I, I shared with our church and, and our staff, uh, and uh, we have a mega church area that's say they're the poor and I said I don't need to be a takeoff or anything, but I don't want to be for them. I want to be with them. Yeah. Uh, I want I want uh, I want us to realize that we don't want to ministry to Hispanic people. We want a ministry with Hispanic. People. We don't want to minister to Asian people. We want to minister with Asian people. And so I I used the illustration. I had the wonderful opportunity uh, not long after I came to Atlanta to get uh, uh, season tickets to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, it wasn't because I had come into some money. Uh, It was I was on vacation with my daughter and son-in-law, and my son-in-law got a phone call from a neighbor. He had just uh, bought a key. And one of the things was is if you buy a kid, you got season tickets to Packers Game as a as a windfall. And he says, "I don't care anything about one of the Packers games." He says, "I he says I give these away for a hundred dollars." And I so my son-in-law, who is a baseball fan, doesn't go to hardly any football games, turned it down. And then told me about it after he got off the phone. And I said, call him back and tell him that those tickets are sold. And so he called him back and said, my, my father-in-law wants them." I calculated I could go to about three games, maybe four, and I could sell the rest and actually probably make some money as opposed to it. And so, I'm, I'm, so I make, make my way to the very first game. I've never been in the Georgia Dome at that time, the old old stadium. i uh, never been in the Georgia Dome. And I've uh, got my tickets in hand. I'm watching the Falcons play the Denver Broncos, and and Peyton Manning is starting for the Denver Broncos. And I, I am in seventh heaven. I am eight men, Atlanta Falcons. And I've got season tickets, and so I'm looking at my seat number and my row, and I start making my way up. And then I'm, you know, I got to go up one more. And then you know, I'm in the final section. I'm in the very corner, and I keep going up and finally, on the very last row before you step <laughs> off into eternity. <laughs> I that's my seat. Seats three and four on the very last row. All totally out of breath me and my wife sit down and all of a sudden as the game begins the guy next to me he's screaming at the top of his lungs and it's just his veins are popping out of his neck I mean it was, it was like oh my goodness this is gonna be miserable and finally we come to a break in the action and we all sit down and he looks over at me and says so did Kia? <laughs> <laughs> obviously this is the key of sex right? But I use that as an illustration to say that guy is for the Falcons. To some degree. But I mean he's not with the Falcons. He's not on the team. He's not he's not he's not down there with them. He's not he's not engaged. He's for them. And unfortunately there's a lot of people who are shouting at the top of their lungs, but they're not getting down into the nitty-gritty of stuff and getting with people. Well, I can tell you I'm for Duluth High School. But when I go and serve at the concession stand on Friday night, I am with Duluth High School. I'm not just for it. And we've gotten more mileage out of our with Duluth than anything we've done in our community because people... And by the way, we've got orange shirts that say... With Duluth. Oh, wait, a
4: minute. wait a minute, Mark. Go ahead and advance the slide.
2: And... And, and have our church name on the back. People have come to up to me and said, are these all your church people? Because they began to notice that there are Africans and Asians and Hispanics and Anglos who are all in our church. And they said, did you hire people to come in and do this? <laughs> no. This is our church family ministering to the community because we love the community and we're with Duluth. We're not for Duluth. We're with Duluth.
4: And then this is one of the pictures uh, that uh, we are with, Duluth. Duluth, uh, The city of Duluth has a Friday night event uh, that called Flicks on the Bricks that the first Friday night of June, July, and August, they show a flick on the bricks, a movie downtown, and we go and have a display there, do face painting. Uh, And guess what parents do while their kids are getting face painted? They stand there. What a great time to talk with them about the church. We've done all kinds of things to try to engage parents. We, we've had photo booths and we've done giveaways and we've done other things. But the parents want to stand there while their kid's getting their face painted or their wrist or their shin and we get a chance to talk to them. We also do, do a raffle. This past month, we gave, for August, we gave away a $50 gift card for Chick-fil-A. How many of you would, would put your name and email address and cell phone number on a raffle to get a free $50 gift card for Chick-fil-A? Boy, we had a lot of folks do that. We send them an email saying, with a picture of the winner, to let them know, hey, somebody really did win it, but guess what we now have? And guess what we do with it? And so we are with Duluth. Flicks on the Brick, random acts of kindness. We go out in the community and just do random acts. The the city asked us to help with the, their Easter egg hunt. It was dying. And the city asked us to provide activities for children with the Easter egg hunt. And they said, well, we'll have maybe, what, 500?
1: First year was 300. And we had about 1,200 uh, this past year, there were about 3,000 people at the city egg hunt. And so here, here's what I want to say to this. Maybe your city doesn't do these things. How about maybe you do an egg hunt at your church? What if you went to your city and said, hey, can we put on this city egg hunt? Or you don't have a flicks on the bricks, but you have somewhere in your city, you could start your own flicks on the bricks or flicks on the green or whatever you wanted to do, you started your own process of reaching out to your community. Um, you know, same thing, random acts of kindness. We started a dollar a week club at our, our church. People put in a dollar a week and we've been able to, uh, we bought groceries for people. Uh, and you can actually go to our website and see a, a great video of a girl that, that uh, uh, that we bought groceries for, that just a, an amazing story of how God was there. We bought we went bought school supplies. We bought uh, uh, we went Toys R Us when they were still open, and uh, we we bought people's Christmas presents. Uh, and that's just from dollar a week. People just putting in a dollar a week. Um, we've uh, we gave teachers at BB Harris. Uh, how how much was that gift card? Hundred dollar gift card to all the teachers and a lot of the bus drivers as well. Uh, their staff there at, at BB Harris, and again, it, it's just it's it's ways to think about how am I going to be with my community, uh, or how am I going to be in my community. That's my that's my thing to say. We need to yeah.
4: Go go, Abby. Go to the last slide, the church polity. Real real quick, uh, real fast. You can start an ESL.
1: Yeah. Um, Uh, Our weekday preschool, that's something we inherited, but it has been such a, Pastor Mark talked about it earlier, such a great asset for our church. We do a citizenship class, um, and then we have the Duluth Cultural Center is a group of uh, Korean uh, folks that come in and they learn different life skills. And so they, they do that as well. And then our Vacation Bible School. We still do a traditional Vacation Bible School, but most of the children that come to our Vacation Bible School do not look like me. It is an amazing thing what takes place at our, our Vacation Bible School.
4: Now go to the last slide. Uh, w- one of the, the things that Rodney Wu told me, again, he was a pastor at Sharpsburg Baptist just outside of Houston, when he came in uh, 2008 and talked with us, he said, y- y- you know you're going to change when your church polity changes. This is a, you, you might not be able to see that exactly, but we have 25 deacons in our church. Seven of them are people of color. In 97, when I went, they were all looked like me and talked like me. Uh, we have made sure that the people of color own the committees. Last year, the chairman and stewardship finance committee was from Ecuador. Chairman of the steward of the Personnel Committee was from India. Uh, the The Vice Chairman of Deacons this year is from India. And so you know you have changed, you've made a transition when your polity changes and you have folks that don't look like me and talk like me are making decisions. And we've all already talked about staff members. Uh, for those that came late in, in 97 when I went... Everybody on staff, including the support staff, all the support staff, look like me and talk like me. But now it's real different. It reflects our diversity. Do you have anything else to say? Um, I, would, I would just
1: say, um, you know, another handle. You might say, hey, we don't have enough money to pay for folks to come on our staff. We can't, we can't afford that. We can't, we can't do that. See if there's somebody in the community they would just come to... to and I, I said this before we left uh, Part A, is pray for that person of peace. Pray for someone. Maybe you've got a big Latino uh, population in your area. Uh, maybe it's African Americans. Whatever it might be in your area, pray for that person of peace. Build a relationship. Take them to lunch. Take them to coffee. Whatever it might be. And, and begin to to work that process of saying hey do you mind joining with our our opportunities that we have in our community to make a difference to begin to see um, the the picture of heaven open up here uh in our in our our fellowship and our our faith family so that's just one of those things yep
0: all right now i want to see if i can evaluate um what we 've talked about from the lens of somebody who just came two years, and there are five things I noted down that I want to share with us, and the first is uh, the word life of the church. Uh, Pastor Mark has really really, really really, really, through the Word of God in the church, expressed this vision and the mission statement of the church now, and uh, if you any time we have all these cultural celebrations. <coughs> All the powerpoints that he uses to preach depicts where those people are from. In fact, the powerpoint of this Sunday had the background of the Indian flag, and you know all the world, series series of teachings they drive home this point, this vision. Everyone who comes through the door knows that. Yeah, and this what that was I, our bulletin from Sunday uh, for Sunday. So, and, and the second is our worship life. Uh, most churches I know what we do is um, interpret just the message. What we do is life translation. From when you come through the door till when you go out, everything that is being said from the pulpit, you hear it in your art language for our translation. And another thing is the, the fact that all our worship experiences now had become so dynamic and so unpredictable. It's not the traditional service where we know after this is the hymn, after this is this. No, it had become as led of God's spirit. Uh, every, and the third is the with-dulut activity that has shown the church to really walk the talk. <laughs> the church has done what the master asks us that if you do for the least of these you've done for me the fourth is the wave of influx the membership of the church now uh, had, had become more of internationally born people you see people come give their life to Christ you see people come uh, join the membership of the church the baptism you see it and the last I have here is a wonder of integ- integration now we have people who can integrate into the church life the church being, and they are not white, so to speak. The church had become a church where you don't even, we have a time in our worship where everybody is asked to stand up, interact, greet. You don't even see color. You don't see color. Uh, you, 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 You see your brother. You see your sister. You see your father's children. And that is what I have noticed in putting five bullet points these two years. And you can do that. Thank you. So, let's well, the questions now.
3: Uh, how did the transition go in the service? So, I would be interested in that. I mean, I, I know you have to think strategically and intentionally about the service, uh, but would just be curious about was how did that transition take place? Uh,
2: yeah,
1: if you want to grab it and I'll fill in.
2: Um, it was the most. Uh, it was the most difficult of all the transitions. Uh, most people are willing to uh, uh, make a, a certain amount of change, but when you start changing my worship style or anything, that, that becomes really, really kind of touchy. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, um, we got some some real God uh, The gentleman who played the guitar in our worship band today is our uh, director of worship. Uh, he is a uh, former worship leader for. Uh, Life Action Ministry, if you're familiar with uh, uh, On the Road Revival Group for mostly uh, college age type folks and uh, he was wanting to come off the road he has a background in linguistics languages is his specialty uh, and he specifically wanted to be a part of a multicultural church uh, he came and worshipped incognito in our church uh, before I uh, I'd already expressed interest in him he came and worshipped incognito in our church and basically decided, not for me, not going to happen. And so I chased him halfway across the country. his last year with the Ministry and said, okay, I don't want you to go by what you saw. I want you to go by what you think that it can be and and dream what it would be like to be a part of a multilingual church. And so I'll tell you that a lot of what we've had has just really come in the last two, three, so it's, it's really been the most recent of transitions. Um, uh, but uh, a lot of that is overcome with relationships. Uh, I want to tell this story because I told it this morning in my group. And uh, um, uh, we teach what we call cross class, cross-generational, cross-cultural, put it across. Six weeks, teach it three times a year. It's in my home. And the entire intent is, is that uh, uh You're in a laboratory of cross cultural experience. And you have to be invited to be a part of it so that we can intentionally make it cross cultural. You have to have at least three cultural groups and at least 30 years between the oldest and the youngest member. So, two years ago, Abiyoye and his family just come from Nigeria. They were living with us for the first couple of weeks that uh, they were in the States. And uh, so, cross class is at our house using the cross class. Um, so he and his wife we also had uh, I think two other African families that were part of that particular cross class we all crossed generationally one of our oldest deacons and his wife represented our senior adult population and his wife had only been a member of First Baptist Luke, never been a member of any other church was, was born reared in Duluth only church she's ever been a part of and so we're introducing ourselves the very first week and about our background and about where, why we're here and what we're, what we're hoping to experience. And she said, you know, my mom and dad would have never allowed me to sit in the living room with black people.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I mean, there was a collective gasp. Like, oh my goodness, how are people going to respond to this? And, you know, we one of the things we talk about, this is a safe space where you can share anything and we're going to try not to be judgmental and we're going to try to embrace each other. And Avioye and his wife were sitting on one side of couches, on one side of the room. They were sitting on the opposite side of the room. Avioye stood up, walked (coughs) across the room, and embraced her and hugged her. And she just melted into it. Now, they sit in juxtaposition of each other in the worship service every Sunday. And I watched during the welcome every single Sunday. They embrace it. You can overcome a ton of stuff that is a worship issue of style or preference if you get past that to the relationship issue that this is my brother. We belong together. And we desire to be a part of the for of God and,
4: and that's what our story really is is that, that the people that are, that are there want to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That we look for those God things. Those God moments. For God to show up and do something that we can't imagine. That we see a vision of what could be. And that vision is what keeps us going. What other questions do you have? to start to share We assign them to the person that it, we feel like would have the best relationship with them. Uh, yeah, that just to connect with them. And then we, we have started a, a group, uh, a, what we call mid-sized groups uh, that we call first connections. Uh, that it is a, it's not a large small group or a small big group. It is a group that meets one group meets on first and third Monday night. Another group meets on the second and fourth Tuesday nights, and, and it's a party. We have a leadership team that uh, for each session, each the, the Monday and Tuesday are their own teams, and they invite them to the party. Come be with us. And our goal is just like Mark was saying in cross class, you want to have a. Cross generation, cross culture. Our goal in First Connections is to have people of various ages and of various cultures, so that anybody that comes to it can find somebody that they can connect with. And then the goal is for that for them there then say, "Hey, Abby, come with me to my class," or you see them on Sunday and you say, "Come to my." My small group, because we're still a traditional Sunday school, is our main small group. Again, we we know that a lot of cultures around the world, small group is important. Sunday school is not. We found that out with our in people from India, people from Korea. Sunday school is not important, but small group sure is. And so, how do you create those small groups? Or the and so. That's how we follow up with them to invite them to first connections. Try to make a specific connection who speaks their language is the main thing.
3: I guess it's a multifaceted question, but I would, I would, I would imagine that this vision. I mean, I, I would, I would assume it's like a snowball, like right, like people now. You, you feel it. But there has to be a point where it's this is where we're going. I'm sure you, you use. So I guess I'm asking a question about casting vision, like where I guess for you it would be, did you spend time preaching on this prior to instituting with the student ministry? How do you emphasizing that and what you do? How like how is this vision communicated to the body? I'm sure, I get now that it's like a snowball. It's like man, this is awesome. I'm so excited to be a part of it. But at some point, it had to be laid uh, down.
1: Well, and you you heard his Rubicon message today, and that that's. That's really where where it was. And again, you know, this vision leaks. So even as much as we communicate, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing, people still don't understand it. And so it, it is fun. It's great, but people still don't understand it. I'm now, for student ministry-wise, um, we are now starting to make the transition for us because honestly, we're the last group in the entire church, to see diversity, you you saw that other picture. The one mission trip, we're all white except for Andres, and then this this picture over here, we're not. And so we're the last group. And so now we're starting to. I'm I'm speaking to our white adult leaders and saying we've got to start. We've got to start becoming more diverse in our leadership on the. So so again, you're communicating. We're changing our, our leadership. We don't want to lose you, but we, we still need to make changes in our leadership. And so that's what's happening on, on the third floor. We call ourselves level three, but we're, we're on the third floor. Nothing spiritual about it. But, uh, but that's just kind of, kind of who we are. And so we're just making those changes. And I think that's how you communicate is you continue to throw out those different things to, to, to hate. We, we are, we are changing. We're continuing to change. And like I said earlier, we're still learning. We, I, I mean, we make mistakes all the time. And I, I don't know if we said it, but there is a 100% guarantee that you will offend somebody and somebody will offend you. 100% guarantee. You don't do it on purpose. You go apologize. You 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 do what you need to to try to try to fix it, but it it's it's going to happen. And so I guess my biggest thing is, is just try something. Um, don't don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid. And I, I'd say that about our pastors is he he has not been afraid to fail. And we've we've failed several times, right? And and so that's the thing is is just go do something try to try to get out there so um that's a that's a great question
0: yeah please we've got a book technical law here it's actually uh proceeds step-by-step movement of how the church so it's another good uh, material you could use to know then your mission st- statement matters every sunday we rec- i've said it here in the course of t- so your mission statement also matters can we just pray in a minute please Lord, we thank you for thus far you brought us and for all that we've learned. We ask that as we move from here, you would help us put all this together in practical terms on how it could help our local assemblies. May your will be done. May your kingdom be born, be battered here on earth through us. Thank you for hearing us pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.